Good morning. My name is Kevin Peterson. Please stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to be reading this morning from Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys have a seat. <clears throat> Honest moment, quick show of hands, if you have ever fallen asleep in church. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. We, <laughs> we were talking about that earlier, and everybody raised their hand. Anybody never fall asleep in church? Anybody has never fallen asleep? Raise your hand, seriously. You have never fallen asleep. Yeah, whatever, liars. <laughs> Nobody believes you. All right. Don't fall asleep this morning, hopefully. Um, but uh, man, this story, this story with Jesus and his disciples, um, it is, it's just, I was reading through it this, this week and praying through it and writing and thinking and um, man, we're just reflecting on it. It's such a humbling moment in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. Um, as he comes to the very kind of end of his public ministry right before his arrest and trial and crucifixion for our sins and all of that, that he goes to this, this garden to pray and uh, his disciples come with him and, and they fall asleep while, while he's praying. You know, as we grow and we mature in our faith, um, man, God wants to continually draw us nearer and nearer to him. Um, we call this the process of sanctification, right? His Holy Spirit that he has put inside of us when we come to faith in Jesus, he fills us with his spirit. And that spirit, his Holy Spirit is meant to consistently, constantly, continually sort of wake us up, right? You can kind of think of the process of sanctification as just a constant waking you up. That's what God is doing to us all the time, that before we know Jesus, the way the Bible talks about us is that we're just sleeping. We're, we're really dead. We're dead in our sins, and we're just asleep to the real stuff in the world. And so God, when he brings us to Christ, he does wake us up, and then the rest of our lives is sort of him just sort of calling us to live our lives awake. Like, open your eyes, see what's true about the world, about you, about sin, about darkness, and about death, and about life, and about Jesus, and about his kingdom, and all the realities of eternity that are already true for us in Christ. And yet sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but I, I just get, I get sleepy. Not just physically sleepy, but emotionally and spiritually, honestly, spiritually sleepy. Um, Satan, of course, knows this. The devil, our adversary, he knows this about us, that, that we kind of have this tendency to, to be sleepy, right? And he knows that God is trying to wake us up all the time to see what's going on around us so that we can follow him and trust in him and walk with him in the things of this world and kind of fight the spiritual battles that he's given us to, to fight that really is, as Christians, our birthright to engage in this battle. Satan knows this. And so what does he do? What is he constantly doing to us? He's constantly telling us as Christians, Satan is just kind of going, hey, 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 take it easy. Won't you calm down? 
Christian, won't you just relax? Why do you make such a big deal about things? Why do you make such a big deal about the gospel? Why do you make such a big deal about church and missions and sharing your faith and discipleship and reading your Bible and killing sin in your life? Christian, why do you make such a big deal about these things? Calm down. Let the pastors deal with that stuff. You deal with stuff that's going to make you comfortable and happy and safe and wealthy and healthy. Like You, you deal with that stuff. Just, just, just go to sleep. This is Satan's work in our lives all the time. And this morning, I hope we let the Spirit counter that attack and just say, wake up. Wake up to what's really happening in this world, what's happening right now in your life, what's happening in your family, what's happening in your soul, what's happening in the souls of those around you and your neighbors and your community and your coworkers and your classmates, what's really going on around here so that we can join in with what God is doing and the work that he wants to do in and through you. Yes, listen, Christ certainly calls us to rest in him. He does. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, right, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give rest to your souls as you learn from me, as you, as you, as you listen to me. God wants us to rest in Christ, but that doesn't mean that we then shut our eyes and become lazy to the reality. He doesn't want us to rest from reality. He just wants us to rest in Jesus and from that place of rest, from that place of strength and confidence in him, that's what resting in Jesus is, that we then fight and make all-out war against the darkness and the spiritual battles going on all around us. And I think so many of us sometimes, man, we just, get, we just get lazy and we get sleepy in our faith. And we don't really engage in the work and the ministry and the fights. The Christian life is a fight that Jesus is calling us into. And so on the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, it says they come to a place called Gethsemane. Mark 14, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's, there's Bibles in your chairs. You can grab one. Mark 14, 32, they go to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John. He takes these three. These are sort of his three closest disciples, the ones that he took up on the mountain with him to see his transfiguration, right? That beautiful uh, moment where Jesus' glory is revealed. So they got to witness that. John and Peter and James got to witness his glory on top of the mountain of transfiguration. And now in this garden of Gethsemane, they're going to witness his moment of greatest sorrow and greatest trial. And he says to them, well, it says he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Verse 34, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. So Luke, the, the gospel of Luke actually comments, Jesus did this often. This was the place he would go often to pray when they were around Jerusalem, that he would go out to the Mount of Olives is what this was called, um, the Garden of Gethsemane. Actually, I was reading, I just happened to be, happened to be uh, reading this this week in 2 Samuel, that King David, as he's going out on the run from his son Absalom, he goes up the same mountain, the Mount of Olives, and it says he's praying and weeping as he goes, Right? And, and the Bible is just full of these kind of foreshadowing moments that the Mount of Olives is this place of prayer and sorrow. It was for King David, and now it is for Jesus. As he goes on this mountain, he goes into this garden called Gethsemane, and he, 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 he comes to pray. He says, my soul is overwhelmed, overwhelmed with sorrow. He's distressed, and he's troubled. He says, even to the point of death. 
And the idea, the reality that we see in this moment is that Jesus, in the fullness of his humanity, he's just in anguish here. He says, even to the point of death. In Luke 22, it actually gives us this detail that Jesus begins to sweat in this moment. And he's not just sweating sweat, he's sweating drops of blood. That's what Luke 22 says. He's actually so grieved. He's so in agony and so in pain that he's sweating blood. It's actually a real condition called hematidrosis. It's when the capillaries in our skin, because of overwhelming agony that we are going through in our bodies, the capillaries underneath our skin burst and blood mixes with sweat and it comes out of our pores. That is what Jesus is experiencing in this moment because of the overwhelming agony, the pressure and the weight of what he's feeling in the moments to come for him. The, the garden that he's in is called Gethsemane. It actually literally means olive press. It's a place where um, in, in, the, in the olive gardens there that they would bring the olives there to be pressed, to be crushed, so that the oil could be expressed from the, from the seeds of the olives. And now it's Jesus here in this moment who's being crushed, who's being pressed to the point of death. Isaiah 53.10 says that it pleased the Lord God to crush him. This is who Jesus is and what he's doing. He's in agony. Jesus feels that this moment, he even says unto death, right? He feels like this might be the moment he's going to die. He's not even going to make it to the cross. That's the weight. That's the pressure. That's the agony that he's in in this moment. Listen, I I just shared this this morning and kind of sit on this for a second because I don't want us to ever believe that what Jesus went through on our behalf is ordinary, and commonplace. I don't ever want us to just think about the gospel story and what Jesus endured for us as ho-hum. That's just something we read in Sunday school and think about, and yes, Jesus died on the cross, and we know all that, but do we understand the passion that he really endured on our behalf? Do you understand the weight and the burden and the anxiety and the anguish that was in his soul in this moment that his humanity is just crawling with fear? with sorrow, even to the point, he says, of death. Y'all, this is why in this church, we are not going to preach and we are not going to sing with ho-hum, flippant attitudes. We're going to sing and we're going to preach and we're going to look at God's word and we're going to pray with our hearts. We're going to do it with emotion and with feeling and and engaging our minds and engaging our hearts as often as we gather together. And we're not going to have a church that's just flippant ever, because Jesus is not a flippant Savior to us. Jesus felt, he felt everything. He felt it deeply in his humanity. He didn't just go through the motions. You know what I'm saying? And he, he went all the way to the, like, I, I know that we know the cross, of course, was in his greatest moment of suffering, but I believe that that began here. Like what Jesus really endured for us. Don't take this for granted. And he tells his disciples here, he says, stay here and keep watch. So here's the question. What are they watching for? What's he asking them to watch out for? Because think about this. Jesus knows his time has come. He's already said this. He he knows what's about to happen. He knows the arrest that's going to happen here in another hour or two. Are they watching for the soldiers? Are they watching for the arresting party to come, the Romans, the Jews, or whoever, Judas? Are they, are they watching for them? Are they keeping watch so that they can escape? If that were the case, I think Jesus wouldn't have gone here in the first place, right? He knew they were coming. He would have gotten out of there. He would have escaped. 
They're not really watching for that. And we're going to see here in a second what he meant when he said, keep watch. Verse 35, it says, go in a little further. He fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It just says he fell to the ground, like his, his strength has failed him in this moment. Physically, Jesus has nothing left in his legs. I would imagine, like, he says he fell to the ground. He just couldn't stand anymore under the weight of what he was about to bear, the sins of the world and the wrath of his father upon those sins. Not his own, yours, mine. He just crumbles to the ground. And he begins to pray and just ask, Lord, is, is there any other way? Is it possible for this cup to pass from me? He says, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you, God. Is it possible in this hour, in this moment, could this be done? Could you do it, Father, that this cup and the cup that we're, that we're looking at here, really all throughout Scripture, when we see a, a cup that's being poured out, it's almost always the wrath of God. God, is there any way that I would not have to endure that cup, your wrath, the perfect relationship that Jesus and the Father had from all of eternity as love between Father and Son? Now Jesus would experience a different side of the Father, a different side of God the Father. And it would not be his love that he would feel on the cross, but yet his wrath upon the sins of humanity that would sit on his shoulders. God, is there any way this could pass from me? Is it possible? I don't know if Jesus is really asking. I don't think he's really asking, God, is it possible that you would not make me do this? Is it possible that you could save me from this? Right? He's not really asking, God, is it possible that you have the power? God, do you have the omnipotent, holy, sovereign power to, to make me, allow me to walk away and be free from this suffering? Of course God has the power to do that. Of course God could save him from that. But the deeper question is, is it possible, God, is it possible for me to not drink the cup of your wrath, not go to the cross, and still save humanity? Is it possible for Jesus to not die and for you to not die? That's the question. Is that possible? No. It's not possible in the sense that God could not save both Jesus from death and you from death. It's not possible. This is the plan. It was always the plan from the very beginning. Could there be any way but the cross? You know that moment when Jesus is on the cross and there's people coming by and they start to mock him? They're mocking him, right? Well, if this guy is really the son of God, why don't he take himself down from there? He said he, was a son. he said he has the power to do these kinds of things. He said he, was, he said he did miracles. They said he did Like, what? Like, just come down from the cross if you're the son of God. As if Jesus coming down from the cross would test his power and strength. What they don't understand is that that's exactly what Jesus is praying about right here. For the power and the strength to stay on the cross. It proves nothing for him to come down. Of course he could come down proves everything, not just about his sovereign power, but about his love and compassion for us, that he would stay. And that's what he's praying about. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. You ever pray for something and the answer is no? 
You ever, you ever do that? You ever pray for something and the answer that God gives is no. Your, your, your prayer, your request, and this will not be granted. Do you have the faith to say what Jesus says right here? Yet not what I will, but what you will. He is our perfect example in all things. How much more is he our perfect example in prayer? How do we pray? How do we seek after the Father's will? Yes, let's bring our requests to God. The Bible tells us to do this over and over again, to ask, to seek, to knock, to lay ourselves bare before him, not hold anything back. God knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows all the things that you need. Let's bring those things to him. And yet to trust that if the answer is no, not my will. God, but yours be done. This is, this is Jesus' heart. This is his fight in this moment. And so, verse 37, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. While all of that is going on in Jesus, this fight is happening in his heart and his mind. His flesh is crawling to get off the cross. And yet he is submitting his spirit to the Lord, to his God and Father, the disciples are over here asleep. And he kind of kicks Simon, you know, kicks Peter. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Here's our question today. Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? So Jesus has been praying for an hour, right? And to the disciples' defense, right? Like that's hard stuff. This is late at night. I'm sure they're exhausted, right? They're just sleepy. They're just tired like any of us would be. And yet Jesus is trying to wake them up to the idea and the reality that there, is, there are bigger things going on right now than your drowsiness. Like there's real battles happening in the midst of this garden. And yet you sleep. How often do we sleep when we should be praying? And again, listen, when I'm talking about sleep today, can you just hear this with me? It's not just about physical sleep. It's about spiritual sleep, apathy, laziness in a moment when prayer is what is required. And Jesus told them, let's just go back to our question, what were they keeping watch for? It wasn't the mobs. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't Judas. What did Jesus tell them to keep watch for? Listen to what he says. Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray. There it is, verse 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. What were they watching for? Jesus told them, stay here, keep watch. They were to watch themselves. That's what they were supposed to be watching for. He said, watch, stay here, pray, and watch so that what? You will not fall into temptation. That's what Jesus is asking them, calling them into to watch and be vigilant and think about what are you weak in? What, what scares you? What gives you anxiety? What brings on depression? What brings on doubt in your life? What brings on temptation to you to walk into sin? This is what we watch for. This is what we stay awake for. This is what we don't give up praying against every single day of our lives, that we would resist the temptation to fall asleep when we should be seeking the Lord's face and his will and his power, just like Jesus was. It says a stone's throw away from them. He's fighting. He's praying. He's watching. Jesus is feeling tempted in these moments. Do you understand this? His flesh is tempted to get off the cross. And he's praying to the point of death, sweating, blood, crying, weeping, calling out to the Father for strength and for help. And the disciples can do nothing but sleep. 
And he says, so that you won't fall into temptation. Here's, here's a question for you, just to think about. Jesus has already told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Would Peter have denied Jesus if he'd have stayed awake? I don't think so. But Jesus knew he wouldn't. Jesus knew what was going to happen. I, I, my guess is, if, if Peter had been vigilant in prayer, watchful in prayer like Jesus was, he would have had the strength to do what he said he was going to do. He said, Jesus, I'm going to the cross with you. If everybody else deserts you, I'm coming, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you're not. See, we talk a big game sometimes in our faith. And we think that we can bring all this to the table and do all these things for God. And yet when the, when the moment of testing and trial comes, are we willing to stay awake and pray? Pray for the strength of God. Maybe Peter just thought he could do it on his own strength. And this was a lesson to him. No, you cannot. You can't pray like this, by the way. You can't pray like this in your own strength. You can't do it. This is spirit-led strength to fight in your prayers. Do you fight in your prayer? Is your prayer life a fight? Guys, mine's not always, to be real honest with you. I struggle with this, just like many of you do. But I think this is the call of this story. The Christian life is not a safe, easy, comfortable, sleepy life. It's a life of fighting. Christians are fighters. We're warriors. We're soldiers in the battles against spiritual forces of evil in this dark and in this present darkness, like Paul says in Ephesians 6. Like that's who we are. Are we willing to go to battle in our prayers? That's where the battle begins. And I believe that's what sustains us through the battle. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, he's talking about putting on the armor, right? Gives us all this armor to put on. And how does he end that? And pray. Put on all this armor. And he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's the fight. Because prayer is the fight. We, we armor up in order to pray. It's the whole fight. Sometimes we get this temptation to believe that when we pray, that's not really doing anything. Praying is everything. I'm not telling you not to act. I'm not telling you not to do. I'm not telling you not to get up and, and work and serve and fight and actually lift your head and lift your hands and move your feet to do something. I'm saying if you try to do any of that stuff, you're just going to be like Peter, making big old boasts and then falling asleep. Pray, church. Pray. He's telling them to watch themselves throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament especially. The idea of watchfulness and prayerfulness and temptation are connected so many times in so many different verses. I, I, we have a slide of just different scriptures. I'm not going to read all these different scriptures, but if you guys will just look at this one slide that has all these scriptures on here, you can kind of take, take those down or take a picture of that slide. All of these are verses in the New Testament that have to do with watchfulness and prayerfulness. That 1 Peter 5, 8, that's where he says, the devil is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking for someone to devour. You know what Peter says in there? Watch, watch and pray so that you can resist the devil in those things. 1 Corinthians 6, 13, he says, watch, be alert, be strong in the faith. Luke 12, 15, be aware, be on your guard against greed, temptation, right? It's about prayerfulness. 
Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful. It's wake up, wake up and pray, right? God's prescription to us in our sleepiness in faith is to wake up and pray. It's always prayer. And all those other scriptures, I'm going to read you guys Romans chapter 11. I want to read Romans to us. Or sorry, Romans 13, starting in verse 11. He says this, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to, what? Wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Why do we put on armor? Not to sleep. Soldiers don't put on armor and then go to bed. You get what I'm saying? We put on armor living in the daytime. He says, like, do you understand what the hour is? Do you understand what the day is right now? And this is the problem that sometimes we just get so comfortable in our faith because we don't have any urgency about what's going on. We don't have any urgency about the fact that there are people dying out there who don't know Jesus, that our neighbors, our families, our friends, our enemies don't know Jesus. And it's our job. It's our calling. It's our right as Christians to bring the gospel into the world, the gospel of light. But we can't do that if we're asleep. So Paul and Jesus and everybody else in the New Testament, they keep telling us, wake up and pray so that we can live that life of passion and vigilance, fighting the good fight of the faith every single day. Christian, if you're trying to live your life for Jesus without prayer, you're going to lose. You're going to lose every one of those battles. Because prayer is our strength. Prayer is the fight. God has inseparably linked our ability to fight spiritual battles with our willingness to pray. When do you think Jesus won his victory over the cross. When did he win that battle? I mean, yeah, he won it when he rose from the dead, of course. Ultimately, that's the victory. And we point back to that, that Jesus died and then he came back to life. But to be honest, as I, as I look at this story in Mark 14, I think this is the moment. This is the moment in his mind and in his heart that he won the battle with the cross. It was in prayer. Because again, his flesh was just crying out. And yet, not my will, but yours be done. So here's the question for us this morning. Just a, a simple question is, are you asleep? Are you asleep? Here, here's what I mean by that. Are you right now in your faith? As you th Just think about yourself for a second with me. Are you being lazy in your faith right now? Are you kind of apathetic towards the things of God, uncaring, flippant with your life and your faith, your family, your, your church, the lost? Are you losing battle after battle to temptation? Has your heart grown weak? Has your mind grown dull to the things of God and his kingdom? Are you comfortable? Here's a great way to know if you're sleeping. Are you comfortable with sin? Has it just become second nature to you to just kind of go back to your old ways of living your life and saying, listen, if you've never come to faith in Jesus, then I tell you this without a shadow of a doubt, you're asleep. 
That's all you are. You're dead in sin. You have never come awake in Jesus. And I would tell you this morning, look, you come to Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, he will wake you up by his Holy Spirit. But for some of us, even as Christians, we just have a tendency to let that old man, that old nature just drift off again to sleep. So I want to kind of end this morning just reading a little bit out of Ephesians chapter 4. The band's going to come out. We're going to sing another song here in just a second. But I just want to kind of end it by, by looking at Ephesians chapter 4 with us. So if you have your Bible, just flip over to Ephesians. Sit there with me for a second. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians, okay? Writing to a church in the city of Ephesus, Ephesians. And he's trying to get them to wake up. That, that's what it is. This is a sleepy church. This is a church who, in Revelation, we actually see Ephesus, and they're the church that's kind of lost their first love, right? Jesus says that to them. You guys have lost, like you started great. You love Jesus. You're worshiping Jesus. And then you just kind of, you drifted off to sleep. You've just gotten lazy. You've gotten apathetic. You're not seeking and saving the lost. You're not praying for your neighbors. You're not, you're not listening to me. You're not killing sin in your life. Here's, here's what he says, Ephesians 4, 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live your lives as Gentiles. He's using the word Gentiles just to mean non-Christians, right? Don't live your lives as non-Christians do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity. This is sleepiness. Listen, Christian, this is, this is what it looks like to be asleep Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And he says this, you, however, this is you, this is us, if you're in Christ, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Apostle Paul is just looking at the Ephesians, saying, well, I'm looking at you this morning, just going, wake up. Why are you living your life like you're still sleeping? Jesus woke you up. You know him. You receive the gospel. The Spirit is in you. You are awake, and yet you're taking a nap like people who aren't awake, like people who are dead in their sins, living in sleep. You're napping, Christians, so wake up. And Paul goes on in chapter four and five to kind of explain what it looks like for us to live our lives awake. And then he says this in 5.13, he says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. He's talking about the light of Jesus, the gospel. The gospel makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He's just telling the Christians, y'all wake up. We have really two words in the Christian world um, that we talk about a lot. One word is the word awakening. An awakening is when in a community, many people who are not Christians come to the faith. They come to Jesus. Like we just see a lot of people do that, right? But then there's another word, and the word is revival. Sometimes people get those words confused, but revival is not about non-Christians. Revival is about the church. 
Revival is for the church. Revival is a word that means church, wake up. Stop sleeping. They need awakening. They're dead in their sins. They're asleep. And it's our job to wake them up. And so if we would wake them up with the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what we need. We need revival. We need to get out of our nap time. We need to get out of bed. We need to get on our feet. We need to get serious about this stuff because this is not a game that we're playing. This is life and life eternal in the kingdom of God. So wake up, church. Paul said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You want to see the light of Christ in and through your life and in the lives of those around you who don't know Jesus? Then wake up. And that begins with prayer. Revival always begins with prayer. And so four things as we think about praying. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look to Jesus. Number one, we're going to look to Jesus as our salvation and our example. Look to him in the garden. Look to his passion. Look to his suffering. Look to everything that he, that he felt and he thought and he brought before the Father in that moment. And let us be like him. Number two, be filled with the Spirit of God. Paul goes on in Ephesians 5 and 6 to say, man, just be, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to your heart and your hearts to the Lord. He's just saying, look, let God and his Spirit lead and guide your life as you pray. And number three, be watchful. Be alert. Be awake in your prayers. Give your life over to prayer. Be attentive. Be vigilant. Understand that there is a war raging for your soul and the souls of everybody in this world. And that should wake us up. It has, it has given us much to pray for. If you understand how much there is to pray for in this world, man, you won't be so lazy in your prayers. And number four is just pray. Pray continually. Pray humbly. Pray expectantly. And listen, pray communally. We as a church, we have to be a church of prayer. We have to be. Or we're going to be nothing. And so this morning as we sing, I want to offer you an opportunity to pray as well. Um, if you're on the prayer team and you want to come down and, and be available, if you need prayer this morning, come down and be prayed for. Get out of your chair. Move. Wake up, oh sleeper. And just come and let prayer be your fight this morning. Prayer for yourself, your family, or whoever you need prayer for. Or just stay in your chair and pray. Or just kneel on the floor and pray. Or just stand and worship and pray and sing. And just let prayer be your heart's offering to the Lord this morning. So let me pray for us. And then as we worship the Lord, let's just start this morning by waking up and praying. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for today. And thank you for an opportunity for us to begin as a church, to be a church of prayer. So let us pray now and let us seek you, God. And let us lay down ourselves, our will to you and let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.